Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Wednesday, December 27, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. With temperatures reaching a high of 65.8 degrees and dipping to a low of 54.4 tonight in Riverside, it's shaping up to be a mild end to December. In today's episode, we're delving deep into the currents of change as the offshore wind industry encounters a mix of headwinds and tailwinds this year. We'll discuss what challenges they face and the opportunities that lie ahead. In a bold move to combat climate change while potentially extending the life of fossil fuels, Occidental Petroleum is making waves with a hefty investment in direct air capture technology. We will examine the implications of this strategy in our energy sector. Furthermore, alarming revelations point to the Wagner Group's use of so-called blood gold to fund Russia's war efforts, despite international sanctions. Our in-depth report will shed light on these disturbing findings. Stay tuned for these stories and more on Alex's News. We turn now to our top story the offshore wind industry in the U.S. is grappling with some stiff winds of its own. Some might say a perfect storm of challenges has taken shape in 2023. For more on this, we're joined by our reporter Ethan. Ethan, what can you tell us about the situation as it stands? Grace, it's certainly a turbulent time for the offshore wind industry here in the States. Orsted, the Danish energy giant, has put a pin in development efforts for the Skipjack project off the coast of Maryland, and things look grim as they may scrap the plan entirely. This is a big deal because Orsted is also seeing similar troubles with two offshore wind projects intended for New Jersey that are now halted. That sounds like it could have significant implications. Can you explain a bit more about why Orsted has made this decision and what key factors are influencing these developments? Sure. The winds aren't blowing favorably mainly due to supply chain bottlenecks and the burden of high interest rates which are squeezing the entire industry. The complexity of building infrastructure at sea has always been high, and now companies like Orsted struggle to get their hands on the necessary vessels and equipment. This industry also faces an element of market unpredictability that's putting many projects in a tight spot. Despite this, I understand there are some silver linings, some developments that indicate not all hope is lost. That's correct, Grace. U.S. Wind's Marvin Offshore project is pressing ahead and is projected to light up Maryland with electricity in the near future. This underlines that, while some face slowdowns, others are finding ways to navigate these choppy waters. Moreover, the Biden administration has shown a steady commitment, greenlighting three commercial-scale projects with a fleet of 16 more waiting in the wings. And looking beyond America's shores, what's the status of the offshore wind industry globally? There's a wind of change blowing across the globe, too. Notably, RWE has taken over three offshore wind endeavors off the English coast from a Swedish power company, at quite the hefty sum of $1.2 billion. Over in France, the Faycamp offshore wind farm is moving ahead with a substantial setup of 71 turbines. Also, from vessel service companies to wind turbine manufacturers like Vestas and energy conglomerates like Total Energies, strides are being made to advance the industry. With those advances, though, one would imagine the industry is still facing headwinds. Can you delve into some of the larger challenges and what they might mean for the future? Indeed, the breeze isn't all favorable. Inflation, which has been the bane of many sectors, looms large with rising commodity prices and financing costs cutting into potential profits. The aftereffects of the pandemic have yet to settle, contributing to soaring costs for equipment and labor. 
There's a scarcity of specialized infrastructure, and ports are in high demand. Regulatory hurdles remain a significant kink in the supply chain, not to mention surging interest rates and environmental impact concerns stirring up opposition. With all these challenges in view, are there steps the industry is taking to stay afloat and move forward? Developers are looking for every silver lining. They're renegotiating contracts, revising power offtake agreements, and are even retooling their timelines to mitigate the financial strain. It's not going to be an easy fix, but there's a lot of brainpower and innovation going into overcoming these obstacles. Long term, the industry is seeking sustainable solutions to address these systemic issues, from supply chains to environmental mitigation. It's a complex picture, to say the least. Thank you, Ethan, for that comprehensive update on the offshore wind industry both here and abroad. My pleasure, Grace. As we continue our morning coverage, we have two more key stories to discuss. Stay with us. We're diving into a critical story that's making waves in the climate change conversation. Occidental Petroleum, a major oil player, is betting on direct air capture technology to tackle carbon emissions. To unpack what this all means, I'm joined by our reporter Chloe. Chloe, can you start by introducing us to this current situation? Absolutely, Grace. So, Occidental Petroleum has turned its focus to direct air capture technology, which is designed to pull CO2 right out of the atmosphere. The company's plan isn't just to reduce carbon in the air, though. They also intend to use the captured CO2 to extract more oil, which is a bit controversial because it extends the life of fossil fuels. They're branding this as net zero oil, claiming the carbon they capture will offset the emissions generated when the oil is later burned. That sounds like a significant move. Chloe, how exactly does this DAC technology work? DAC technology uses chemical reactions to capture carbon dioxide from the air. It's essentially like a giant vacuum cleaner for the sky. Once captured, the CO2 can be stored underground or, as Occidental plans, used to push out harder to reach oil from their wells. The technology itself isn't new, but scaling it up to make a dent in global CO2 levels, that's where the challenge lies. So they're looking to tackle climate change but continue pumping oil. What have experts said about this approach? It's a contentious topic, Grace. Some experts believe that DAC should supplement other efforts to cut down on oil and gas consumption, not justify continuing our reliance on them. Occidental has the cash and the tech expertise to potentially scale up DAC significantly, but reliance on that alone is risky. The International Energy Agency has warned that we shouldn't lean too heavily on DAC and should prioritize reducing emissions at the source. Chloe, what about alternative energy sources? How do they fit into the mix here? There are indeed many viable alternatives, Grace. We're talking about solar photovoltaics, wind energy, nuclear fission, geothermal, biomethane, and hydrogen, to name a few. Each of these could provide the power needed for DAC systems in a cleaner, more renewable way. They have the potential to reduce the environmental impact of carbon capture and storage significantly. Although, it's worth noting that each alternative energy source has its own set of technological advancements and potential drawbacks that need to be carefully weighed. Interesting. There doesn't seem to be a clear-cut winner between using alternative energy for DAC and using captured CO2 for more oil extraction. Can you elaborate on the environmental implications of each option? Well, renewable energy sources are surging, and they've even overtaken coal in the U.S. for electricity generation. Plus, a study from the journal Joule highlighted that renewable energy prices are dropping and are often cheaper than fossil fuels. 
This implies that powering DAC with renewables like solar or wind could be more cost-effective and better for the environment than using captured CO2 to continue extracting oil. The latter has well-known environmental downsides, like air and water pollution and increased greenhouse gas emissions. It's certainly a complex issue that's unfolding. Thank you for breaking down the different facets of this story, Chloe. Glad to discuss it, Grace. There are no easy answers, but these conversations are crucial for understanding our approach to climate change and energy. Good morning. Here are some other headlines we have for you today. A dark day in Ukraine as six people lose their lives to a Russian drone and artillery attack. The assault, using almost 50 Shahed drones, targeted various locations in Ukraine, resulting in a power outage in a major city. The southern city of Kherson was plunged into darkness, with most residents now without power. Meanwhile, in Odessa, two lives were taken and three people wounded, one being a 17-year-old man. Ukrainian air forces have intercepted the majority of these drones, downing 32 out of the 46 fired overnight. This tragic event underscores the ongoing conflict as we head towards the new year. Turning to domestic news, Senator Bob Menendez faces opposition from federal prosecutors in his request to delay his May bribery trial until July. His defense cited over 6.7 million documents to review and other complexities, claiming they needed more time. The prosecutors, however, feel the scheduled trial date is justified, pushing back against the postponement. The senator firmly pleads not guilty to the charges that involve him and his wife accepting bribes, with a heavy sentence looming overhead if convicted. Over in Colorado, the air is tense with a recent series of incidents involving justices now under police investigation. These events follow the Colorado Supreme Court's ruling removing former President Trump from the state's ballot, a decision that's triggered a torrent of debate and is set to be reviewed by the U.S. Supreme Court. Political lines are drawn as Republicans and Democrats spar over the ruling's implications and Justice Clarence Thomas's potential recusal. In the race to the White House, Nikki Haley launches her campaign in her home turf of South Carolina, seeking to strengthen her bid for the Republican primary. Despite her record as a governor and ambassador, her challenge lies in convincing pro-Trump South Carolinians to pivot in her direction. With strategic endorsements and focus on key policies, Haley is setting the stage for what might be a tumultuous primary season. Overseas, Israel intensifies its military actions in Gaza, targeting central and southern areas, causing widespread evacuations and disrupting essential services. This military escalation unfolds amidst a landscape already marred by conflict, heightening tensions in an area already fraught with humanitarian concerns. Lastly, on Capitol Hill, a bipartisan effort emerges to end legacy college admissions. Senators Richard Blumenthal and Chuck Grassley propose the Fair Access to the DREAM Act, which would shake up the admissions landscape, tackling inequality by removing the legacy preference if institutions want to retain federal financial assistance. A move receiving national attention, this legislation could signal a significant shift towards more equitable higher education practices. And those are your updates for now. Stay tuned for more in-depth coverage on these stories and others. Have a great morning. The Wagner Mercenary Group is back in the news today with a rather alarming report about their tactics for funding Russia's war efforts in Ukraine. The use of gold mining in Africa, 
known as blood gold, has come under the spotlight. For more on this, we've got our specialist correspondent, Ethan, with us today. Ethan, can you tell us about the recent findings and what they mean? Thanks, Grace. Absolutely. This Consumer Choice Center and Democracy 21 report pulls back the curtain on a disturbing operation that Wagner has been running since 2017. Wagner has effectively been mining gold in Africa, specifically in countries like Sudan, Mali, and the Central African Republic. They've learned to bypass global sanctions and funnel approximately $2.5 billion back to Russia, which is quite significant with the current ongoing conflict in Ukraine. That's a staggering figure, Ethan. Can you walk us through how exactly this blood gold is being smuggled out of Africa? Of course. The process is as lucrative as it is clandestine. The mined gold is first smuggled out, often making its way to the UAE or China. From there, it goes through a series of refinements and is then moved through complex networks of front companies, essentially laundering the gold and obscuring its origins before the profits are funneled back to Russia. And with sanctions in place, how has Wagner been able to continue this trade? Well, that's the challenge of international sanctions. They've been trying to cut off the revenue streams for groups like Wagner, specifically targeting their illicit gold trading. The US Treasury, for instance, sanctioned four companies involved just this past June. Despite these sanctions, the trade apparently hasn't been fully disrupted, which is concerning. What kind of impact are US sanctions having on the group's revenue from this blood gold trade? The sanctions are certainly creating hurdles, making it harder for the funds to be moved out of Africa, but as the report states, they haven't stopped the flow of money. Around $2.5 billion has still been laundered to Russia since the Ukraine invasion began. It speaks to the sophistication of Wagner's operation and also to the limitations of current sanction measures. This must have larger implications, right? Could you speculate about the potential consequences if this trade continues unchecked? The implications are wide-ranging, from perpetuating the conflict in Ukraine by funding one of Russia's key players to the broader violations of human and labor rights, not to mention the environmental damage from unregulated mining. If left unchecked, not only will the war effort continue to be funded, but we could also see regional instability in Africa as Wagner's influence grows. What's being recommended to curb this activity? The report's authors are calling for expansion of current sanctions and more stringent supply chain controls to clamp down on this operation. This means not just targeting the Wagner Group but also holding international mining companies and others involved in the gold trade accountable. If the demand side is targeted effectively, it could significantly disrupt the financing of Russia's military ventures. It sounds like there's a lot more work to be done to address this issue. Ethan, I want to thank you for this detailed breakdown and for shedding light on the concerning situation with Wagner's blood gold operations. Absolutely, Grace. It's an important and developing story that we'll continue to follow closely. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.